I heard a story once that just blew me out of the water. And if I hadn't heard it in the first person, I wouldn't have believed it. But she was standing right here when she told the story. Edwina Humphrey Flynn, young adult, Seventh-day Adventist, classical vocalist, Juilliard trained. We're talking top drawer in terms of music. Started out just like this. She told a story about her first day at school in New York City. Before getting on the subway, heading off downtown to that campus, she asked God, come into my life, shine out of my life, whoever I meet today, amen. Got on the train, raced into classes, school has begun. A few weeks later, it's a day off. She says, I'm going back down to the uh, conservatory. I'm going to go back down where the practice rooms are obviously free now, and I'm going to do my ho, 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 you know what you do. Nobody be there, and I can just do it. So she did it. Halfway through her practices, she hears this loud, raucous noise down the hallway, and it's getting louder, and it sounds angry, and it's getting closer, and all of a sudden, boom, her practice room door flies open. Four students come tromping in. They are also students of the conservatory. I knew I'd find you here, the young spokesman said. Turns out they're a group of warlocks and witches. Warlocks being a male witch, witch being female. They've been debating occult issues like which is better? Which do you think is 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 more good, black magic or white magic? They're having this big discussion. And Edwina finally gets, composes herself and she says, listen, I, I don't know what that has to do with me anyway because I don't know anything about black magic or white magic. Ah, but the young man said, I saw you when you came to school the first day. I saw you get off the subway. There was, there was this circle of light around you and it went in front of you and you walked into that light. She says, yeah, but why, why are you here now? You didn't even know I was here. Because we were having this debate down the hallway, and I saw light coming under this door, and I recognized it as the same light I saw that day you got off the subway, and I knew you'd be here. Can you believe it? I mean, she prays before she goes. She connects with God, and she says, shine your light through me, having no clue that God would literally shine his light through her to get the attention of another young adult on her campus. Wow. So here's the no-brainer question. Wouldn't she love to live so close to Jesus that his light shines out of you too, me too, and people see it, they sense it? I want to share the explosive secret to how that can happen. Right here in our continuing journey through the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel. Open your Bible, please, to John chapter 15. You didn't bring a Bible? Oh, my. Grab the pew Bible in front of you. It's page 727 in your pew Bible. Let us go. Explosive secret. The explosive secret to how that light can shine out of you. Now, I need to tell you this while you're looking for John 15. A lot of people believe that John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, which if you have a red-letter Bible, are almost totally red. A lot of people think all those chapters happen up here in the upper room, but that's not the case. When you put the three synoptics together and you include the fourth gospel, you realize that chapters 13 and 14 happen in the upper room, but chapters 15, 16, and 17 happen out of doors. 
It's Passover. Full silver moon. Always a full moon on Passover. Jesus is speaking in the night air. 15, 16, and 17. The little clue in, uh, in, in John is right here. Look at the last line of chapter 14. That little clue plus the synoptics helps us know that 15 and onward is, is outdoors. The last line in chapter 14, you see it there? Jesus speaking, arise, let us go from here. Come on, guys, it's time to go. That's it. And then 15 happens. That means that 11 men, because one has already slipped away to do his nefarious deed, 11 men plus the master pound down those clay steps. I've been in the upper room in Jerusalem. Archaeologists are absolutely sure it's the identical upper room. Pound down the clay steps into the winding, wending alleyways, silver shadows beneath the full Passover moon. They come to the gate, out the gate, down the crooked pathway. I've walked down that into the notch called the Kidron, then up to a garden called Gethsemane. Somewhere along the way, Craig Keener in his uh, commentary says, somewhere along the way, Jesus sees a vine. Desire of Ages concurs a century earlier. Desire of Ages says, Jesus came upon a trellis in the silver light, and he stops. The master teacher stops beside the trellis. He takes that full fruit of the vine, holds it in his hand, and it becomes an unforgettable teaching moment. His last time with these 11. This is the secret he's been waiting till now to share. And he shares it. 15. Here we go. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean. The Greek word for prune and clean, same word. Play on words there. You are clean already because of the word which I've spoken to you back in the upper room. Here comes verse 5. So abide in me and I in you. And he's holding it. He's holding it up as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here it comes verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You see, for the Jews in Palestine at the time of Christ, the most common fruit trees they had were these. Fig, yuck. Olives, bring it on. And the vine, all right? Those are the three most widely planted fruit trees. But of the three, hands down, any loyal patriotic Jew knows that if you're asking me, asking me which one I'm going to identify with, hands down, it's the vine. The Jews believe we, Israel, the true vine of God. In fact, during the Maccabeans, you flip the coin over it, they have a vine on that coin as a symbol of the, we are the vine of God. And Herod the Great was no dummy. When he built that majestic archaeological wonder called the Jerusalem Temple, he made sure that the craftsmen shaped into the entrance of the temple a golden vine. We are the vine. And Jesus takes that notion and just flips the coin over and said, no, 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 no. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Wow. Tomorrow, blood, the blood-red fruit of the vine will flow crimson on that Roman cross tomorrow. But tonight, the silver light of the moon, beneath it, Jesus says, I am the vine.
Look at verse 5 again. Verse 5 again. I am the vine. You are the branches. She who abides in me and I in her bears much fruit. For without me, you can't do nothing. It's the explosive secret of the vine. Jesus takes the great truth of eternity and pours it into a single metaphor that is a solitary secret. It's all wrapped up right there. And to do it, listen to this, to do it, he reaches back to the upper room where he's just been and he pulls a word out of the upper room. You see, in the upper room, he used this word. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. The Greek word for mansion is monet. So what Jesus does, he reaches back, because they haven't forgotten that, and he grabs that word from the upper room. And here, standing beside the vine, he now turns the noun into a verb. Meno. Mone. Meno. Which means that you could actually, you could actually translate this line. Mansion in me and I in you. In other words, take up residence in me, and I'll take up residence in you. That's why Eugene Peterson, and I love, I love the, uh, the message rendition, he puts it this way. Live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. So let's pause just long enough to get that critical point. Grab your study guide right now, will you? Take your study guide out, and let's get this down while it's fresh in our minds. You've got study guides here in the choir. You've got study guides out here, but if several of you came in with one bulletin, hold your hand up. We've got our friendly ushers coming your way. Just hold your hand up. We'll get a study guide to you up in the balcony. We'll get study guides to you. And all of you who are watching right now on live streaming, we're delighted to have you. Wherever in the world you are, it's Eastern Standard Time here in the United States. We're glad you're here. I want you to get the same study guide, and so I'm going to put it on the screen right now. You'll see it flip up. There it is www.pmchurch.tv. Now, you're looking for the series, which is our second semester series, The Last Days. It's not the last days of earth. It's the last days of Jesus. We're down to his final 24 hours. And oh my, don't miss next week. Trinity under fire. You can't believe it, but they're going after the Trinity. And I want you to, I want you to use your, your, your bright mind and grapple with some of, the, some of the issues. Trinity under fire next week. But today it's the, uh, the, the explosive secret of the vine. You see that there? You click onto that on, uh, on that webpage. It'll say study guide. Click on there and you'll have the same study guide we do. Let's fill out the study guide just so that we can lock this in before we, we uh, move into the teaching. In my Father's house, Jesus is speaking, in my Father's house are many mansions. Right in the word mansions. That's the noun. That's John 14 too. That's the noun monet. But that noun becomes abide. That's the verb meno. Abide, with, abide in me as I abide in you. So go ahead and fill that out. Once you have it filled out, you know uh, that's, what, that's what's happening. That's that Greek word that got switched around. Thus, uh, thus, John 15 verse 4 could read, Mansion in me as I mansion in you. I like that. I want to be, be in your mansion. Let me be. Let you be in my mansion. Let's mansion in each other. Take up residence in me. Well, I take up residence in you. But let's put it, I want you to get Peterson, the message. Here's how he puts it. Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Because let's face it, come on, ladies and gentlemen, the people we really feel at home with are our closest friends and family. Isn't that right? I mean, you know what? With anybody else, we're a little, we're, we're, we're a little stiffer. We're a little more on the guard. I mean, we, we have to be careful. We're a bit more formal. But when you're with the people that you are really friends with, when you're with close family, 
we use the phrase up close and personal. I feel at home with you. I love being around her because I feel at home with her. I love being around him because I feel at home with him. What's that mean? That means you can just be yourself. Even some of the, 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 the etiquette that you do elsewhere, you don't worry about it here. I'm not going to give you examples of that, but you know, you're just kind of, you're just at home. You feel comfortable. People accept me for what I am. I don't, I'm not worried about somebody saying, well, what, what, what does he mean by that? What does she mean by that? No, I can act like a boy. You can act like a girl and nobody cares. Jesus says, that's what I want to be. I want you to feel at home with me and I want to feel at home with you. I want to, it's, it's the language of friendship. Let's be friends. Let's be at home with each other. And by the way, in case we didn't get the language of friendship, he now overtly switches to the language of friendship. Watch this. Fascinating. Uh, verse 9, as he goes on here, he's still standing by the vine. And you'll see, you'll see all the way through here, he's standing by the vine. Verse 9, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide. There it is. Eleven times in this little passage, he'll use that word, meno. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now watch this, verse 13. Speaking of love, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his what? For his friends. Now notice verse 14. You are my what? You're my friends. If you do... But I command you. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things I heard from my father. I've made known to you. Verse 16, last verse, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. By the way, remain, same word, meno, 11th time in that passage, meno, that your fruit will abide. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Standing by the vine, 11 times Jesus is making the point. Abide. You and me, abide in each other. It's the rich language of friendship. Say, hey, I'm the closest friend you'll ever have. Ever, ever, ever. In fact, tomorrow, I'm going to lay down my life for you, and there is no greater love than that. We are friends. Do you understand? We are friends. Forever friends. Jot that down so that we don't miss it, please. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends again and again and again. Abide in me and I in you. That's the invitation of a friend. But by the way, not any old friend. Facebook and the University of Milan. Did you read about this study they did just a few weeks ago? Facebook and the University of Milan. They did a study to find out how far the 721 million users of Facebook in the planet, how far apart are we? How many degrees of separation? Did, did you read about that? We used, to think, we used to think it was six degrees, and that was based on a 1929 short story called Chains by Frigues Carinthi, in which he suggested no one is more than a string of six friends away from another person. So we called it six degrees of separation. But Facebook did the numbers. They crunched all the math, and they found out, get this, that we are 4.74 degrees of separation. 4.74 degrees of separation. But in the United States, where one half of everybody over the age of 13 is on Facebook, our separation is 4.37. We're even a little closer. So what does that mean? Well, that means 
Facebook says, that means that if there's a man in Papua New Guinea, and he has to be on Facebook, by the way, but if there's a man in the jungles of Papua New Guinea, let me show you how close you are. Let's put up a beautiful graphic here. This is from Jana DeWin, my PowerPoint operator right now. She's a junior math major. She told me how they get those numbers, 4.74. I, I could not repeat it to you. But she made this graphic so that we would get it. Okay, so on one side is a woman, on the other side is a man. So you be either side you wish. I'm going to be on the man side, which is on the left side. So the, the, the New Guinean, in this case, will be a woman. The New Guinean's over here. Watch this. This means, 4.74, that a friend of my friend, because my friend is right beside me, and a friend of my friend is the next person. A friend of my friend is a friend of the friend of the New Guinean. Do we feel closer? What? With Papua New Guinea, you and me. Just there. That's the proof. Wow. Facebook is so cool. Are we really so close? I'll tell you why we're not so close. Because Facebook has changed the definition of a friend. Now you can have a million friends and not be close to a single one of them. Am I telling tales out of school? No. That's not the kind of friendship Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, hey, listen, abide in me and I in you. That means no degrees of separation. Let's put that on the screen. No degrees of separation between the branch and the vine. No degrees, not 4.74, not 3.74, not 1.74, zero, nada, no degrees of separation. Because nature has told us that if there's even one degree of separation between a branch and a vine, the branch dies. Isn't that right? You can't separate a branch from the vine. It's dead meat. It's over. Jesus says, I'm closer than Facebook. I'm closer than Facebook. I'm a real friend. And there are no degrees of separation between you and me. We're just like this. I'm the vine, you're the branches. No degrees of separation. I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's nothing between us. We're like this. Abide in me, and I in you. Wow. So if the branch is not connected, what happens, Jesus? Well, look at verse 6. Jesus speaking here, if anyone does not abide in me, ooh-ooh, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. Ooh, that's no, it's not like you're being punished. You got away from the vine. You cut yourself off. He is cast away and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they all burn. Now, look, go back to verse 4. So, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. She, he who abides in me and I in him, I in her, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the explosive secret of the vine. Put that on the screen again. Without me, you can do nothing. Nada. Nothing. In fact, John is so intense here that he turns this into a double negative. Now, Jesus has already used, John has already used a double negative up here in the upper room. You remember when, when Jesus came to wash, wash Peter's feet and, Je- and, and Peter says to Jesus, in the Greek, Peter says to Jesus, you shall no not wash my feet. 
Same Jesus, same Peter out here under the moon. And Jesus grabs that double negative, if he were speaking Greek, and he says, without me, you can do no, not anything. Double negative, in case you missed it the first time. Nada. Nothing. You can do nothing without me. Whew. I mean, like the man said, which part of the no do you not understand? The N or the O? No thing. You can do no thing without me. Double negative. No, not anything without me. That's what F.F. Bruce... In fact, let's put that up first before we... Yeah. Without me, you can do no, not anything. That's the Greek. So when you have that in your study guide and you're sharing this teaching with somebody else, you can just say, oh yeah, that's a double negative right there. F.F. Bruce, the great uh, New Testament scholar, describes the total adequacy of Christ. I'll put that on the screen. The total adequacy of Christ. I've been brooding on that. I was brooding on it last night. Just saying, you know, total adequacy of Christ. Keep, keep, don't turn your study guide over yet. Because I want you to write this other, this other line down. I think this, this other line, there, there actually is a word, essentiality. The total essentiality. Would you scribble that down? I'll keep it up. It's only one L. The total essentiality of Christ. What's that mean? He is utterly essential. You cannot, you cannot, you, you cannot not have him and work and live. The total essentiality. Scribble that down while it's still on the screen. The total essentiality of Christ. That's the truth. Without me, you can do nothing. No, not anything. The total essentiality of Christ. He is utterly essential to everything that we stand for, to salvation, to everything in life. He is utterly essential. Our only hope is in Jesus. I had a seminarian come up to me after my class this week. I just started teaching at the seminary. I always do it this time of year to uh, round out the semester, teach a class in preaching. The seminarian came to me concerned about some of the guest preachers that are being invited to this campus. Not by the university. Not by the chaplains, not by the Pioneer Memorial Church, not by the pastors. Guest preachers that are being invited by independent student groups. He described for me some of the teaching of these guests, what they're propagating in the name of God. Extreme focus on personal behavior, a repeated calling for perfection. He's gone to some of those meetings and he said, I'm deeply, he said, Pastor, I'm deeply concerned for these undergrad students who are innocently sitting there, wide-eyed, listening to the human behavior-centered teaching, despairing of ever attaining salvation by such stringent standards. Well, when I learned that, I, I'm concerned too. The only way that kind of teaching survives, the only way you can preach that way is if you abandon the gospel of Jesus you subvert the gospel so that you end up, as the Galatians did with Judaizers who came into their midst, focusing on what Paul calls the works of the law. Those works of the law that will save you if you do them. Jesus is utterly essential and absolutely clear here. Without me, you can do nothing. Your salvation has not a thread of human devising in it. And if anybody shows up 
Paul says, if even an angel from heaven comes down and teaches that your salvation has a thread of human devising in it, let him be accursed. The university ought to be concerned. The pastor ought to be concerned. That's not the gospel. That's not the everlasting gospel. The everlasting gospel is without me. I am what it is. I am the vine. You are the branches. The life is all in me. You can't go through a little routine to get the life in you. Apart from me, you're nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. No, not anything. There can be no degree of separation between the branch and the vine. The branch doesn't go off and do a little something and then come back. No, the branch is hooked to the vine. That's the only way the branch lives. The total adequacy of Christ, the total essentiality of Christ is the antidote not only for legalism, but hold on now, hold on. Not only for legalism, which would use the works of the law as a method of gaining God's attention and salvation. Not only for legalism, it is also the antidote for cheap grace. Because cheap grace is the flip side of that errant coin. The notion that since my behavior is not the basis for my salvation, I can do whatever I please, no matter what the prophets or the prophets say. Both errors are wrong. Ditches on both sides of the road. Without me, you can do nothing. But Paul will flip it around. Philippians 4.13, But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, there's a ditch on either side of the road. But the total adequacy of Christ, whenever it's compromised in public teaching, it's because the gospel is not understood by the teacher. Now, they'll kill you for taking a position like that. It drove Paul out everywhere. Judaizers who said, no, 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 we need the works of the law. No, Jesus said on the eve of his crucifixion. Without me, nothing. No, not anything. In fact, Paul put it this way. I like this in Colossians 3, verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Talking about the total essentiality of Christ. There it is. Christ is all and in all. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the gospel. That's the everlasting gospel. Don't be discouraged. Don't be driven away. You can go to Jesus straight and he will be sufficient. Do I stay the way I am when I get to him? No, you won't stay the way you are. He'll take care of that, but he will take care of it. You connect to the vine, he'll take care of it. This emphasis on, well, come on, concentrate on how you're behaving. Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. Takes your eyes off of Jesus, and then you're no longer connected to the vine. That's the danger. That's what about killed the church in Galatia. Andrews University ought to be concerned. The pastor of this church ought to be concerned. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Let's read Desire of Ages. I love this. Beautiful. Desire of Ages. The life of the vine becomes the life of the branch. So the soul dead in trespasses and sins receives life through the connection with Christ. By faith in Him as a personal Savior, the union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness to Christ's strength, her emptiness to Christ's fullness, his frailty to Christ's enduring might. You know what? Whenever there's a moral meltdown in a man, in a woman, in a teenager, 
Whenever there is a moral meltdown, always, not partly, always it's because the branch has become separated. Degrees of separation have removed the branch from the vine. And in that weakened, withering, beginning to wither stage, that's always when the enemy strikes. When the branch has been disconnected, boom, he moves in. And moral meltdowns occur. But I want you to know that if you've gone through a moral meltdown, this promise of Jesus is very good news for you. The broken and withered branch can be regrafted onto the vine. New life can flow through that branch. Soon it will bear fruit again, just as it did once upon a time. Don't despair because your branch was severed by one thoughtless choice. Don't despair. The branch can be regrafted. Don't wait. That branch will wither and die. Don't wait. If you wait, it's too late. Come back to the vine. He will regraft you to himself. Without me, you can do nothing. What hope is there for us sinners? Ah, keep reading. Put it back on the screen, please. The life of the vine becomes the life of the branch. So the soul, dead in trespasses and sins, receives life through connection with Christ. Look, it's your own study guide. Would you circle Christ and and the pronoun related to him and Savior and all that? Just circle them, will you? Uh, So circle Christ there. The connection is with Christ. By faith in Him, circle that. As a personal Savior, circle that. The union is formed. The sinner unites his weakness to Christ. Circle that. Christ's strength. Her emptiness to Christ. Circle that. Christ's fullness. Their frailty to Christ. Circle that. Enduring might. Then they have the mind of Christ. The humanity of Christ has touched our humanity. And our humanity has touched divinity. That would be Jesus. Thus, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, circle that again. We become partakers of the divine nature. We are accepted in the beloved. Circle beloved. Ladies and gentlemen, the everlasting gospel. That's the truth. You are accepted in the beloved. Without me, you can do nothing. It's all Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. One more line from Desire of Ages. Put it on the screen for you. You need to fill this in. No more, said Jesus, can you live apart from me. Oh, I'd circle that. The life you receive from me can be preserved only by, look at this word, continual communion. Continual communion. You know, we used to read that sentence. We used to read that line. I mean, we just read the words. Continual communication is how we put it today. Continual communication. We used to say, it, it, it is humanly impossible to have continual communication. Right? You can't, just, you can't just have continual communication until they invented the cell phone. Now, hey, I went over Thursday to uh, hear my friend Dick Dirksen over at uh, Howard Performing Arts Center. They had already turned the lights out. Dick hadn't gotten up yet, but they turned the lights out. So I'm in the dark trying to find my place to a seat that's still open. But you know what? It suddenly got very bright in there because I saw on every lap a white glow. A white glow just all over, just like fireflies all over this dark auditorium. What's up? It's all the smartphones catching up on my, my emails, my text messages, and voicemails. Don't talk to me about, well, I just can't do this constant communication thing. Yes, you can. You do it all the time. You can do constant communication. That's the secret. Continue communication. 
That's a promise of the Holy Spirit. I will keep you continually abiding in communication with Jesus the vine. I'm going to put a verse in that we didn't have when we put the study guide together Friday morning. But uh, it came, came to me, and I want to share this with you. I want you to write it in, please. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. How do I abide in Jesus? Because this is a little mini-series tucked into the series on, on the Holy Spirit. How do I abide in Jesus? Uh, John, who was there under the silver moon, heard Jesus. This is now at the end of his life. And by this we know that he, Christ, abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's how we abide in Jesus. It's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your mind. He comes into your life. And that's how Jesus can't come to you personally. Because if he came to you personally, then I wouldn't get him. Jesus stays. He has a body now. He can't be everywhere at once. He has a body now, but he has a friend who comes. And when the friend comes, the friend never says, hey, psst, Dwight, Holy Spirit's here. Friend always comes and says, psst, Dwight, Jesus is here. He exudes the presence of Christ. That's why when you're praying sometimes, it will, you, it will feel like Jesus is right there beside you. The Holy Spirit always draws attention to Christ, never himself. You want to abide in him? The Holy Spirit. That's his mission. Holy Spirit. Ah, last line on the screen. Abiding in Christ means a constant receiving of his spirit. See, that's it. You got to have the spirit. Just ask for the spirit every day. When you pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. You know what you get filled with? You get filled with Jesus. And if you say, Jesus, fill me with you, he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. Because they they are, talking about branch and vine, they're just like this. We'll talk about the Trinity next week. They're just like this. When you get the Holy Spirit, you always get Jesus. Abiding in Christ means a constant receiving of His Spirit, a life of unreserved surrender to His service. The channel of communication must be open continually, cell phone style, continually on, open between us and our God, so long, and I love this, I love this, so long as the soul is united to Christ, there is no danger it will wither or decay. If you've broken off, If something broke off your life from the vine, the good news is get grafted back on. And as long as you will stay connected, this day in and day out communication, as long as you stay connected, you'll never wither. You will never die. Wow, that is an explosive secret. Because without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. No, not anything. No, 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 no. So abide in me. And, abide, and, and let me abide in you. So here's the question I want to end with. What are you doing to keep daily connected with your very best friend? What are you doing? Let me share a study that Cornell uh, University came out with. This is fascinating. Just a few weeks ago. For all their so-called friends on Facebook, most Americans have fewer closer confidants now than they did a generation ago. Cornell University sociologists surveyed 2,000 adults and found that on average they had only two friends with whom they could discuss important matters. Just two. That's down, by the way, from three in 1985. Nearly half of the volunteers listed only one friend, and 4% said they had none. Isn't that sad? None. A reduced social network, and now they're quoting Matthew Brashear's study author, a reduced social network makes us potentially more vulnerable, he said. 
Because talking our troubles over with a trusted pal provides both emotional support and ideas for how to solve problems. Brashear says that while we, while we appear to be just as social as ever, our friendships seem to be shallower, leaving us with fewer people we can call on to lend us money. But you think about it. Where would you go? Where would you go? Leaving us fewer people we can call on to lend us money. Give us a place to stay. I had a guy show up one night late. He said, I've just been kicked out of my house. Can I stay here? Where would you go? Leaving us with fewer people we can call on to lend us money. Give us a place to stay. Or simply keep us company during a tough time. Would you like to have a friend like that? who's with you in the toughest of times, who will never leave you or forsake you, then connect to Jesus. Do what Edwina Humphrey Flynn did. Every morning, early, connect with Jesus, and His light will shine out of you wherever you go. The secret is every morning getting connected with Jesus. Do that. And you'll never have to worry about your branch withering, decaying, and dying away. You'll be alive in Christ forever and ever. Amen. I want you to take the Connect card that's in your, in your bulletin right now. I've got mine right here. Let's talk about connecting to Christ for these last few moments before our service ends. You see this card? Turn, turn the card over. Pastor Jose, just a moment ago, talked about the front of the card. I want to talk about the back of the card. There's a little box here that says, My next step today is... Hey, how about this one? Because you know what? You can't hear a teaching like this and not take a next step. That's the danger. We, 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 we hear the teaching and we go on. No, no, take a step. Look at, how about this one? I want to stay connected to the vine. Please send me that online book. I've got a prayer book that I'd love for you to read every morning before you head out into the day. I'll send you a link to that prayer book. You can read it every day. If you put a check mark right there, please send me that online book. Here's the next box. I would like a how-to guide for a fresh new way to pray. How can I do that? I need to, I need to freshen up. I would tell you what, my prayer life, whew, I'd like something fresh. You put a check mark there. Our Connect team will send you, you, will send you a link. You'll get, you'll get away. And trust me, I know it works for me. You're saying, but do I look at it? I, I, I've never really connected to Jesus at all. I've, I've just kind of been wandering through life. I'm hanging around a lot of Jesus' friends, but I have not myself chosen Him. See that little box right beside it? I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. We just launched this card last week. 22 people last week said, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. 22. Isn't that something? So you put a check mark. You don't have a relationship with Jesus? We'll send you something that will get you going in that relationship. Here's the next one. I'd like information on baptism. Last week, 19 people said, I want to be baptized. Isn't that something? They're sitting all around you. You're one of them. You said, I've never been baptized. Let me tell you something, my friend. If you're a student here, I can't think of a better way to end this school year than to be baptized into Christ. Back to that other box. I would like more information about being baptized on Saturday, April 21 or Saturday, April 28. Why not? What a gift. God to you and you back to him. Put a check mark there. I want information on baptism. I want information on church membership. Fifteen people last week said, yeah, I want some information on that. And look at this one. Serving on a team. 
We'll send you a link to a website. 72 people last week said, I want to serve on a team in this church. College students can serve. We'll send you a link to a website. There'll be 12 ministries. You pick the one you want, and you can start the next day. None of this, we've got to get you trained for six months. You can start the next day. You can serve Christ immediately. I want to learn about the Bible. 27 people said, I want to have Bible studies. Teach me about the Bible. Isn't that something? Fill out that card. Nobody's looking at your card. Nobody's asking you to stand. You'll do this quietly. And in just a moment, our ushers are going to come by and receive not only the cards, but our morning tithes and offerings. Now, some of you jumped up last week. Oh, Dwight's through the sermon. It's time to go. No, no. We, gotta, we have a very important response to make to our Lord, who is our, our vine. So, I want to pray with you. Then the ushers will come. Stay seated. We're going we're gonna to sing a, a, a stanza of a hymn that is a perfect hymn for this teaching on the vine. Draw me nearer. We won't jump up. We'll stay seated so that the plates keep, keep moving. And the service will end with, that, with a benediction. But let me pray with you before you, you turn the card in. Oh, God, this is, this is the moment when we choose ways that we wish to connect with the vine. If there's anybody here who needs you for the first time, Lord Jesus, give them courage. Put a check mark. Somebody who wants to follow you in baptism, bless her decision. Somebody says, I need to fresh, freshen up my prayer life. Please help me. Send me an online prayer book. Whatever the decision, dear God, bless every decision. Make it a, a bold next step for our forever friend. As we return our tithes and offerings today, giving for this little church on this campus so that it can serve the campus and the world, take our tithes and offerings. It's, it's just a gift. We give it back. We're connected to the vine. That's how we got it in the first place. So we're happy. We're happy to return to you what is yours. And through the Spirit of Jesus, walk with us the whole way. Until he comes, let all the people say, Amen and Amen.